This is episode 1515, the big one five of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great, great sports podcasts, brought to you by one of America's great newspapers, The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate it. To this episode 15, we are recording from the Blade Building in downtown Toledo, O-H-I-O. And this week is a bit of a different week because with National Signing Day going down, all of our beat writers are occupied at this time. Minus one. Joining me in studio for the first time is Blade Sports Writer. He's the outdoors editor, Matt Markey. Hi, Matt. Corey, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. You got it. Always glad to see you. Always glad to have you in. Technical producer Phil Kaplan. Good to be here for episode 15. We got our learner's permits finally. And good to see you, Matt. Uh, Though I don't know about that uh, last but not least intro. God, I mean, you're the only one to pick up the phone. We wanted him in here. It's true, but look, if you're going to go with the cliche, right, there's a billion cliches that you can spin the wheel and land one on. Last but not least kind of applies because it's like you were introduced as the final entrant, but, you know, when you think of a Royal Rumble of sorts, entrant number 30 likely has the odds to win it because everybody else is exhausted out. So this is a fresh Right, here comes Matt Markey with the chair from, from the... From the down the down he, the runway. We're laying down exhausted on the mat, and he's got a steel chair in his hand, and he's ready good. to go to work. So, The Rock, if you will, has joined the podcast. and Fish, Fisherman's Rock. <laughs> and today we are talking the second edition of the Battle of I-75 men's basketball. Uh, earlier this year, Bowling Green defeated Toledo 85-79 on January 25th. And as it sits right now, Matt, and we bring Matt in here because he has worked the UT beat, he has worked the Bowling Green beat, so this is a rivalry that's not strange to you. It's not, and it's one that uh, in this particular region has a lot of meaning for folks because of the proximity and also you choose one or the other and then you're kind of labeled for life. That's who you're with and all, and uh, it's been interesting to grow up with it. I mean, this was the was a rivalry before there was an I seventy five to be you know the rivalry route. So it's uh, it's got great history. It's not as well known nationally, certainly as some of the other college rivalries, but uh, a lot of colorful characters. It's been fun to watch. It was fun to cover, and uh, I still enjoy following the teams and watching the rivalry. And we'll get into some of that history shortly here, but just to kind of address the status, I guess the state of. UT and BG, if you will, a la what just transpired Tuesday night uh, with State of the Union. Toledo, 11-12. and 12. They're 3-7 and seven within the Mid-American Conference. Bowling Green, 17-6, and 8-2 within the conference. Now, I bring this up because if you look at the preseason predictions, Bowling Green received 9 out of 12 votes to win the East Division. Toledo received 11 of 12 votes to win the West Division. Bowling Green's kind of holding up their end of the bargain, but Toledo, under 500 as it sits right now, heading to a big road rivalry game, not so much. That's true, and I think it's a mystery for not only Toledo head coach Todd Kowalczyk, but for a lot of people that watch the league. Why are they in this, they're mired in a slump, but their season really hasn't had any momentum, I don't think, at any point. And it's. I think it's surprising because Bowling Green has... You know, a couple of very good players in Turner and Fry. 
They've got great supporting cast. They've got depth. I'm not surprised at all that they were picked based on last year's performance. Toledo, on the other hand, seems to have not been able to find that continuity that they need. They have four you know, very good players that are their core. It really falls off after that, and I think that's where they've suffered. And depth, if it's going to hurt you as you get into the second round of the MAC and then into the tournament and the season wears on, that's where that depth factor has really, really hurt them. It wasn't even Toledo that had the injury concerns. If you looked at Justin Turner, who missed some time with an injury, you would think Bowling Green would slip back a little bit, but BG held strong. Again, 8-2 and two within the conference, and now they're catching the eye of national, and when I say national, rankers and bracketologists out there, I think that's a general term that people get. But they're projecting Bowling Green as the favorites in the MAC, and to get to the NCAA tournament, their first since 1968. And five different outlets, ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports, USA Today, and NCAA.com all have Bowling Green slated on their brackets as of now. They're all listed as a 14 seed except the two rankers on USA Today who have them as a 13 seed. So Bowling Green has now curried the favor of the national eye, if you will. They are at the top of the conference right now, and really what Mike Huger has them doing right now is just working. You're working outside with guys like Frying Turner, and you're going back inside with Plowden. It is, and one of the interesting things about that, Corey, is that I would guess that most of the people that are putting together those predictions weren't alive the last time they made the NCAA tournament. It's been that long. But I think what Michael Huger's done is he's found the right combination of guys, and also occasionally you have to turn over a rock that has a diamond underneath it, and that's what he got in Justin Turner, a player who was overlooked by maybe you know Big Ten caliber schools and all. He was available. He gets to Bowling Green. He turns out to be a phenomenal player. And if you look back at the history of the league, most of the teams that have made the NCAA tournament have had one outstanding player and then several strong players in their supporting cast. And I think that describes Bowling Green this year. And this could be one of those teams that gets in as that 12, 13, 14 seed maybe wins a game in the tournament. It's it's one of those bracket-busting teams, if you will, you mentioned, with the depth, with the scoring ability of Turner and Fry outside. You just never know what can happen, and obviously still some time before the MAC tournament starts on March 12th. But Toledo, they're starting to run out of time here and going to a road game Saturday, 4.30 at the Stroh Center, and they historically, at least in this rivalry, have not been great on the road. So... We'll see what happens, I suppose. But for Toledo, this is a really good point to turn around at. It is. And also, if you look at the way it's set up, the role of being a, a bit of a temporary spoiler, maybe. They could you know, knock Bowling Green off at home, knock them down a notch or two. That, that's certainly a momentum. But I think more than anything, Toledo has to find out what works for them. None of these other, other things on the landscape really matter. You know, for years and years, the max only ticket to the NCAA tournament is to win the tournament, the conference tournament. I mean, clearly that's Toledo's route. There's no other option right now. So they have to start improving now to build momentum because there aren't that many games left on the schedule. And I think they still have several very difficult road games on there. I think they still have Northern on the road and maybe Central Michigan on the road. Um, Very difficult games remaining for them. So Matt has seen this rivalry late 90s, early 2000s, Mm -hmm. fair to say. Mm Mm-hmm. And since 2000, Toledo leads this rivalry 21-12. to The last 10, UT's 8-2. and 
and they've won nine of the last 11 dating back to 2013. But back when you were on these beats and covering these teams and, you know, we saw NBA players come out like a Casey Shaw from UT. We saw NBA players come out of Bowling Green. Most recently, Rashawn Holmes. You look at back in 97, Antonio Daniels, 2002, Keith McLeod. This rivalry, I guess I can ask you, now compared to what it was then, can you draw some parallels? Do you see some comparisons there? What do you think? The rivalry is better when both teams are really good. And it was set up to be that way this year with Toledo's prediction to be the best team in the West. It hasn't panned out, but it still could. And if they end up, Toledo gets hot and the two of them end up opposite, you know, in, in the MAC tournament, say they meet in the semifinals or the finals, it could still recharge the rivalry. But right now, it seems to have lost some of its luster because up until last year, Bowling Green wasn't that strong. It's taken Michael Huger a little time to rebuild the program, but now he's got them, the Falcons, where he wants them, and Toledo seems to have slipped off a little bit. So I think the rivalry, like a lot of them, is the best when both teams are really good. And with some exceptions in this rivalry, it was very entertaining at certain times when they were both mediocre, but that was due to colorful coaches or contrasting personalities. When you see teams that are floating on that mediocre threshold, if you will, that are still up and coming, that are still trying to recruit and develop, winning a game like this in, in a rivalry where two teams are so close together and you know they're so closely matched up, if you will, I don't want to say it's almost like their version of an NCAA tournament game, but that's almost what it feels like because there's not much else that's going on right now. So for Bowling Green today, this could be a primer against Toledo. For Toledo, this could be that stepping stone. And it'll be that kind of environment when they play uh, Saturday because Bowling Green has the type of arena that if you get a crowd in there, it can give you that tournament environment you know, instantly. And the fact that Bowling Green is very good this year, their following has come back, I think the fact that Toledo's so close, they always travel very well to Bowling Green. And there's something about the Stroh Center, it's just smaller. And in that type of uh, you know gymnasium or facility, you get more of that heat, more of that energy and all than you do at a larger place like Savage. And so I think that atmosphere on Saturday, you know, it's an afternoon game. Sometimes that takes a little bit of luster off it. The students aren't quite as fired up as usual, but... I think they will be for this one. So it should be a great kind of precursor for the tournament. I brought up a couple of those players that have made the NBA from UT and Bowling Green. When I look at Antonio Daniels, got to the NBA after the 1997 year, played 13 seasons in the association. Now I'm not trying to draw a linear comparison to this, but at least from their time at Bowling Green, you got to look at Justin Turner, who's a really good scorer, can get to the rim, Mm -hmm. 6'4", junior, do you see any similarities between those two in their styles at all? I think uh, Daniels was more of a, a guy who made everybody around him better and set up other players very well. That's why the NBA was, uh, I think, interested in him as a really big-bodied point guard type player. I think Turner is more of a pure scorer, and there are plenty of those in the NBA. I think... Uh, the only thing that I would have a question about now with him is the NBA is is very demanding physically, and I've seen some really good players who weren't didn't have the body to take that beating, you know, so many games a year, year after year. I'd say physically, 
he's got to develop a little bit more in order to be able to sustain that. But there, there's a professional future certainly for him, whether it's on this continent or in Europe, I don't know, but there's certainly a professional you know, future for him. But uh, both of these schools, you know, these teams over the years have sent guys to the professional ranks. And, uh, you know, sometimes they've sent some pretty phenomenal players. I mean, Steve Mix from Toledo, I think, played a dozen or more years in the NBA, played on some championship teams for the 76ers. Um, there was a Bowling Green team in the 60s that sent two guys to the NBA that both played more than 10 years in in the NBA. So, you know, we get those players occasionally. You know, now more of them end up in Europe, but uh, there are players that are good enough on both of these teams to play professionally. I bring up Daniels because I know the string of consistency that he had as far as health is concerned, at least within the NBA. I believe it's nine seasons where he played at least 70 games. I think of Turner and just the ability that he brings to the court. And then you look at Dylan Fry as one of those spot shooters out there. There's a place for, I look at Turner and Fry from Bowling Green. And then I look at Marion Jackson as a facilitator and a scorer. And Luke Kanapke, who I think is a very underrated player in this conference as potential professional players. Yeah, I would say um, Luke Kanapke's future is, is probably overseas. And that's not a knock on him. It's just that there are so many big athletic players in the NBA and you know it's just tough to find a place for all of them coming out of the college ranks but I think he's someone who could go overseas and make a very good living for a number of years because they need those hard-nosed very strong fundamental players not real flashy but kind of a lunch bucket type of guy I think he he could have a very good future you know overseas Marion Jackson, another one who I don't think he's NBA-level talent because the bar is so high. I mean, there's so few positions on those rosters, Mm -hmm. and there's so many great players, especially over the last, say, decade or so, where the draft pool now includes Australia, China, and certainly the whole map of Europe, and and there are some great players. Mm -hmm. And so it's so many players competing for so few positions in the NBA but I think there's probably a couple players on both rosters that will play professionally for a number of years and you look at the growth of the game too the depth of players overseas now whether it's China or Europe or whatever league it may be Philippines Philip you follow the (laughs) Philippine basketball league well not only is it my name but it turns out basketball is an enormous part of Filipino culture they love it I didn't know this yeah, it's where'd, huge. Where'd you see this? <laughs> a guy who went to Northwestern wrote a book about the basketball culture there. Oh. So I learned about it a while ago. But but there's a there's a you just look up basketball Philippines. There's a bunch of like great stories. Old guys coming from here over there. There's one guy who played till he was like 50 over there. Would drink beer during the games. Whatever. There's really it's amazing how basketball really I think is the international sport. It's not necessarily soccer because. It hasn't really caught on to that point here. You take a player like Anthony Stacy, who's an assistant coach at Bowling Green now. He was a great player in the MAC, but at six five, and he played around the basket a lot. There's no future in the NBA. He went over, and I think he played in Majorca for a number of years and did phenomenally well as a player, but also financially, and also it is it's a worldwide game, and the number of opportunities. Guys are playing in Israel. They're playing in Greece. As Phil said, they're playing in the Philippines, in Australia. 
in South America, there's there's and there's a, check- a lot of tiers to those professional right, leagues too. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of players and a lot of good play around the world. Yeah, there's some decent six six players from the MAC that have gone to Europe and played you know eight or ten years. Yeah, it just and it, speaking of the BG players who did get to the NBA, for our younger listeners who aren't familiar with Antonio Daniels, that's worth some YouTube time. He could throw it down. He's got a lot of dunk highlights. He could do just about anything. I mean, like I said, the longevity. And now, the young kids may know the name Rashawn Holmes, who's currently with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, also my fantasy basketball team. Is he? How's he doing for you? Uh, he's currently injured, but he's really helping me win the blocks category. Okay. Uh, are, my are team, the, the freelance lifeguards. Are you a fantasy guy? I Matt? am not. You're not I a fantasy not, guy? No. We'll have to get Bill Piotrowski in here to break down Rachon Holmes' value in fantasy basketball. Yeah, he can look at my team. He can get under the hood there. <laughs> I want to wrap up the BGUT discussion before we kind of make some predictions for the weekend here. Matt, you've seen this rivalry. I went back and dug back 20 years to 2000, but you've seen the rivalry before that. So maybe you could shed a little more light here, whether it's you know the most memorable thing that you have from this series or it's the most memorable game from this series that you've seen what are one of those memories that you can recall for us one of the most memorable was I was there for the first game at Centennial Hall which is now Savage Arena that would have been in 76 Uh, I was a college senior then it was at that game Toledo was opening this new arena it was a big deal and somehow they convinced Indiana and Bobby Knight to bring the defending national champions there. And so Indiana comes in. uh, They're a great team. Kent Benson is their center, went on, played in the NBA. And Toledo beat them 59-57. to You know, and obviously the place went crazy. Bobby Knight went crazy a multitude of times. (laughs) When doesn't he? Right. And, And so... That one really stands out, and I've seen some really good games in this rivalry. Um, there were some really good ones during the Dan Dockich Bowling Green era against the Stan Joplin Toledo teams. Neither one of them were necessarily, you know, great teams at the time, but it was the contrasting personalities that made the game so interesting. Uh, Dockich, you know, extremely colorful, explosive, uh, kind of all over the place. Stan Joplin, very stoic and reserved and methodical about things. But uh, saw some great games between those two, and the contrasting styles, I think, were entertaining for the fans and also for, you know, the media and and so on that got to cover those guys. So now the rivalry has developed. It's been UT dominant lately, but Bowling Green figures to be the better team entering Saturday, and who knows, the tide just may turn there. Do we have a projection for this weekend or a prediction for this weekend? I would think Bowling Green will prevail. Um, you know, the Stroh Center, I think, carries a significant home court advantage, more akin to a, a tight, like, bandbox high school gym than to a big uh, college arena. So I would say Bowling Green's probably going to win, and I would say it'll be a, a close game, less than 10-point differential. What do you say, Phil? The... Philippines book is called um, Pacific Rims, Beer Men, Ballin', and Flip-Flops. That's an alien movie as well. But yeah, we'll I mean, the book. probably, but it's. Mm-hmm. I, think you, I think you should look that up. I mean, I would just say that Bowling Green appears to be the better team. 
like Matt said in the Coke Pepsi argument, I've always mm. aligned with UT. So I just blindly hope for them. And I want <laughs> them to get a player that gets hot. And I want to see UT in the NCAA tournament. It's like they're in a different NCAA. I swear. I want to see them get to the tournament. Look, so look, I hope for UT, but I think BG is going to win. Look, I don't have a dog in the fight at all. This isn't Coke or Pepsi to me, by the There's way. There's no Pittsburgh in it? No, there's no Pittsburgh. <laughs> in this at all this isn't duquesne pit this isn't the city series but i will say that i'll take pepsi over coke but i'll take rc over pepsi if that's gonna settle my cold so wait debate. so in the coke pepsi debate your your royal crown yep always you're, royal crown you're the st- statistically insignificant outlier incredible <laughs> you mean to tell me royal crown's not good i'm not i'm not telling you are it's you coke not. or pepsi i'm definitely coke are you coke or pepsi matt I'm uh, Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Okay, so he's he's healthier than so all of Coke, us anyway. Whatever. So Coke. I'm more of a I'm, I'm a Cherokee Red fan, which is a Pe- Pennsylvania thing. I'm going to keep indoctrinating Phil into Western Pennsylvania, I love Northeast red Ohio cream soda. It's not cream soda. Well, whatever. I'm just saying that, that I could be I could be easily led to that and enjoy it. It's a cherry pop that's sold, I believe, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and I want to say Maryland. Do you like only the, three states? Do you like that you can get away with saying that something as a flavor is red? Yes, it's just red flavor. Yeah, that's always nice. Yeah, well, like you don't say what color, what co- what flavor Gatorade do you want? You'll say well, that Gatorade is you know all has it's t- totally insane. Yeah, I want I want Glacier Power Boost yeah, flavor. No, um, you're like I'll take the sort of cloudy white one, the green, whatever. No, you just say white. Yeah, white. I'll yeah. take the I go blue. blue Gatorade. Blue. I'm a green Gatorade. Okay. I don't drink Gatorade or Coke all that much, but I do have my preferences. The Kansas City Chiefs had a orange Gatorade. If you had that as a Super Bowl prop bet, I did not. That's good. That's good to know, though. What did you think about that game? I thought the ending was fantastic. Just seeing Mahomes, they were down what ten at that point. Yeah, Mahomes, those two drives right there, boom, right down the field, stop them, boom, right down the field again, stop them, and then they just they just completely drove it into the ground. It was it was a great ending. To what I thought was like a lackluster first half, and then Shakira and J-Lo came up and woke everybody up, and then the second half was amazing. The first half was kind of lackluster, and it was it felt like it was like an hour. Yeah. It just sort of like just breezed by without that yeah. much happening. I thought it was a great second half, and a great, as far as Super Bowls go, I thought it was a very good game. Totally. Yeah. Kind of the same script. The Kansas City followed in their two previous games, where they stumble along, get behind, and then you know, it's almost like a Joe Namath kind of magic that Mahomes had there. He needs one quarter. Yeah. In, in yeah. other well, games, it drives. wasn't the fourth quarter, but he, but he, but twenty-one yeah. in the fourth. I mean, I it's, yeah, one of those was a was a runaway, but still, I mean, it still goes up on the board. So, so I thought it was a, a very good game. Uh, I loved the creativity and some of the commercials. I thought they were pretty interesting. I wanted to get into that. Yeah, I'm going to probably part ways with most people on the halftime show. I thought, as a guy with a couple daughters who's always taught them to be make demand respect and so on, it kind of struck me as like soft porn kind of a little bit and uh, too much sexy sex. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're a great singer, you know, sing. But if you're it just I don't know, it just didn't strike me as being family viewing. Super Bowl has this huge audience nationally and all. I would have been uncomfortable if I had my eight and twelve year old daughters at the time sitting next to me during that. That's about perspective. Like I yeah. said, all, all I'm saying is it woke everybody up one way or the other. Now, now the <laughs> commercials you bring up, because to me, I want to grade the commercials as a whole. 
and then maybe what your favorite one was. Because for me, I thought they were relatively lackluster this year. But I thought the funniest one was the, the Smart Park with Hyundai in the Boston accents. Rachel Draft, Chris Evans, and uh, John Krasinski. Yeah. Yep. And then David Ortiz out the window. I thought that was great as far as production was concerned. And then um, the, the, the NFL one that led the game off. With the kid carrying the ball and you know stiff arming people running throughout the, basically the country, yeah. And then they tied it in with him running through the tunnel. And the little the football prodigy then yeah. comes out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was. I thought that was. It was awesome. well done. It yeah. was well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the NFL ensuring its brand, which it, it has to do, and tie itself to God and country, which it has to do. And my honorable mention is Charlie Day with the series of Tide commercials. That was very good. And it just kind of looped into, like, like Bud Light. It just kind of looped into the He kept coming ones. into the background. Yeah. Yeah. That, that means was, Tide spent a lot of money on a lot of that's places. That's right, but that was very clever the way they did that. I, I think Tide emptied the pocketbook the most. But I, I don't know. Otherwise, I thought they were pretty lackluster. I like the one, uh, I think it was uh, Alexa, mm-hmm. where they went through the different series and the, the, the maid takes a piece of firewood out to turn the temperature down. I just thought that was clever because it kind of jumped through a bunch of different eras. And I also enjoy, you know, some of the more, uh, you know, nostalgic ones, I guess, the Budweiser commercials and, and the one with Bill Murray. And I'm not being a homer with Jeep and all you here. You stole my line. That, that was totally. great. I totally. mean, Groundhog Day, the perfect matchup. Yeah. He is he is so good. And then I read, you know, something in, uh, you know, one of the trade publications that he basically made up a lot of that on the fly. Oh, that's total Bill. That's Bill Murray. Yeah. That's why he's one of the greatest leading and comic roles. It, it was, it was so good. And I'm not surprised that the Gladiator sales spiked, you know, the following day because it was just so fun to watch and, and so creative and I think it, it showed that sometimes you can have this grand plan, and I'm sure they worked for months on it, and then he just went in and ad-libbed most of it, and it was a great commercial. That's so. why you get Bill Murray. Plus the Jeep, I mean, it looked also to not be a homer. It looks cool. It does. It's a very ar- yeah. American, mm-hmm. iconic vehicle. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Bill Murray spot, but if he came out as Carl Spackler, I think I would have loved it even more. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have. So what, was that your favorite then? Was Bill Murray yours? Totally. Yeah, oh, yeah. T- yeah totally. And I, I'm somebody who uh, tunes out a little more for the commercials and tunes in a little more um, for that kind of uh, Latin-infused halftime show. I also don't have any daughters. <laughs> but I also thought, I was like, well, this is a bit much. You know, you know but yeah. they've... they've They've gone both ways over the years, and it just sort of depends on the on the artist who you get. You know, Prince did some, like, really risque stuff behind a curtain with his guitar, but that was one of the most memorable halftime shows ever. I thought that was one of the best ones I've Bru- ever seen. Bruno Mars did a great one. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. totally family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Friendly. So it's a little bit about perspective. You know, I... I heard I, I laughed the other morning about an NPR story that this guy was doing where he, he says he says he feels like he has to explain he's talking about Colorado traffic and he's like buses can move more people than cars and I was like really you got to explain buses and then he's talking about people who are in traffic and in Colorado and he's like occasionally smelled like weed out here I was like really you got to explain <laughs> buses to people but you're just gonna use a slang drug term just like oh it's just weed. That's fine. You, no, I don't got to explain that, but I got to tell people what a bus is. So you know, you you can sometimes also get, just get lost in 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 what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think if I was planning the Super Bowl, I know I'm getting J Lo and Shakira. It's in Miami. I'm gonna have to let some stuff go. Look, yeah, I know there's far more people watching it on television than in the stadium. Mind the audience; they're in Miami. 
heavy Latin American culture, it made sense, right? If you're going to do a show like that, do it in Miami, right? Look, did you guys know who the Cuban artist was who came on, or did you have to look him up or ask your friend? Both. (laughs) I I asked one of my daughters, and that that was my only source, you know, I could go to on that one. Did she know? She knew. Yeah, awesome. I was entertained, aside from... Bad Bunny, in case you still haven't found out at this point. (laughs) Aside, Aside from the obvious, the elephant in the room... I was entertained by totally. by the, all the fanfare and you know just the showmanship in itself. Yeah, and it was caffeinated. It got people. Very, up. <laughs> that's what I. That's my my initial point was that. Yeah. The first half of the game was kind of it wasn't a snooze fest, but it was kind of like you know okay, it's a football game. Then the halftime show hit, and we're all awake now. And then boom, they capped it off with that great second half and the Chiefs with the twenty-one in the fourth. So it kind of worked itself in there in a way, but. Um, Commercials overall, we agree they were some were great, some were eh, some were very good. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I I, yeah, so. I I I can't speak to it too much. I definitely loved the Bill Murray one, mm-hmm. you know, and I looked it up online af- like later to see more outtakes. So again, if he came it. out as Carl Spackler, I would have rolled on the floor laughing, <laughs> given it an Oscar, <laughs> let it happen. <laughs> Let's close the show with a segment that we have, we haven't done in a couple of weeks, just because the, really it didn't fit the bill. It's called likes or dislikes, and Matt, since you're new here, I'll explain it. It's a la buy or sell. So you agree with it, disagree with it, you like or dislike. Facebook still needs a dislike button because I just think it would make a lot of arguments a lot easier, and people wouldn't have to fire off in the comments section as much. But Matt, do you like or dislike? That Bowling Green, and remember now, they're projected by at least five different outlets to make the NCAA tournament to win the MAC. Like or dislike, the Falcons will make it to the NCAA tournament. I like that more than I have for many, many years. <laughs> yeah, but I, the MAC tournament is a is such a crapshoot, and the 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 top seed hasn't necessarily won it. There's been a lot of upsets, so it's that's why it's great basketball. But I I like them better than anybody else at this point. And I think we asked this question a couple weeks ago, and we included Toledo in it. So maybe if UT picks up a win against BG this weekend, then we'll throw UT back into that discussion. Phil, like or dislike that it's going to be the Falcons representing the MAC in the NCAA tournament? I like it. I want you guys to tell me who the most outstanding player in the MAC is. Is it Justin Turner? I don't know. Here's the deal. I think if any player gets injured, their chances automatically decrease. Whether it's MVP, most outstanding player, you right. know, whatever player of the year award, your chances automatically Best guy. Yeah, decrease. <laughs> top guy. Yeah, whatever. Top guy. I think he can be, just based on his play and his impact. I, I, I antiquate MVP awards to something maybe different than other people, but I take it kind of literally. The question I would ask is, where would Bowling Green be without Justin Turner? I know there were players that stepped in, but just the way that this team elevated with him back in the lineup. So, short answer, maybe, I think. If he, like Matt said about Antonio Daniels, raises up a little bit, I mean, if basketball is the game where the most, usually the best player, if he's surrounded by a few competent guys, I mean, the water will seek its own level. If they win the regular season, he's the player of the year, I think. I like Bowling Green in the tournament, but I'm not sleeping on Akron or Kent yet. Because I just think those two teams have similar depth and similar things that Bowling Green does. So, when it's a single game elimination, yeah. you never know. And like you said, it's a crapshoot, man. Somebody can get hot. Somebody can have an off night. Somebody can be sick, whatever. And then my prediction for the weekend as well, I think Bowling Green wins. Bowling Green, since 2000 in this rivalry, is 9-5 and five at home. 
and they're three and sixteen at Savage Arena. This game is at the Stroh Center, so I like that the home court has played a role in this rivalry, despite it being a twenty-mile strip of land. That what is how how far is it? Thousand one thousand seven hundred and eighty-six miles of pavement. You get to claim both northward and southward <laughs> when you win the I seventy-five rivalry. Seventeen hundred miles. There's no other I seventy-five rivalry that we know of, so this is the one that you can stake your claim to. Uh, for it. Uh, Matt, final thoughts before we get out of here. Fans of Mac basketball have rarely been disappointed by the tournament. So the, the season sometimes is a little bit quirky. Uh, it seems like the home court advantage in the Mac is probably weightier than it should be. Uh, I think you have to win on the road before you can win in the in the NCAA tournament. But I would encourage uh, anyone to take in the MAC tournament uh, whenever you have the opportunity because I've seen some great basketball going way back. And they played at a relatively close location to here mm-hmm. at the newly renovated Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland. So a lot of entertaining games to see and entertaining teams, not just UT and Bowling Green, but I mentioned Kenton Akron on the other side of the state. They're, they're also very, very good. Phil, final thought? I, I know it's just a prayer and it's... it's uh tossing any kind of talisman to the wind that you want but i hope somebody for ut catches lightning in a bottle and they make the tournament that's so i hope i hope they win out because i'm all i'm i'm all for like that kind of cinderella story for ut because they've never been to the tournament and their last the last time they were in a thing that was a version of the tournament was with steve mix who you <laughs> mentioned earlier and boy if if you didn't know who Antonio Daniels was, you're going to have to go further back in the Wayback Machine to find Steve Mix. So I just, I just hope for UT. Uh, again, I don't have a dog in this fight, so if one of them makes it, I'll be happy. I'll be excited for the area. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, even mm-hmm. if BG makes it, it's not like I'll be, I'll be upset. I'm just saying. My final thought is the XFL starts this weekend, and I have not declared my allegiance yet to a team. Oh, I don't even know who's in it. Last year when the Alliance of American Football started, I was all in on the San Diego fleet for two reasons. Number one, Mike Martz was their head coach. Number two, I thought their logo was the coolest. But right now, I don't have a dog in this fight. And I know if you're an Ohio State fan, then DC's your team because they have three Buckeyes. The only three Buckeyes that are in the league, I think, are on the DC defenders. Did you declare an allegiance yet, Matt? I have not. I did see (laughs) that those former Ohio State players were kind of uh, piled up there in, in DC. So it'll be interesting... I guess I look at it from more of a business perspective just to see if it flies. You know, are we that football crazy in the United States that we can take it basically the whole year? I think we probably are. I might root for St. Louis because my fandom as an NFL fan is St. Louis slash L.A. with the Rams dating back to my father. So it might be St. Louis, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pencil it and I'm not going to sharpie it in quite yet. I might just pick a winner before the championship week and say, you know what, that's my favorite team because they're winning. I don't know. I could bandwagon this whole season and no one would ever know. That's the best part of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see. There's no m- Cleveland or Pittsburgh or Columbus it's only, team. Yeah, it's only bandwagon. That's curi- why I'm a lifelong Memphis Maniacs fan. <laughs> I'm curious to see how much attention you know the national media gives it. I'm also curious how we play it in the in the blade. You know how much attention will we give this because I think it needs that, especially starting out. It needs to have some platform where people are paying attention. They learn the names of the teams and some of the players. I mean, if it's got some wacky rules like we had with arena football, and and it, it could be entertaining. You know, I miss my alliance though. That was fun for for a hot minute just to see like college players that really didn't make it 
get to some level of football, if you could call it minor league football. I don't know if I would call this minor league football yet because a guy named Vince McMahon runs it, and nothing's minor league about Vince McMahon. So we'll see exactly what he wants to do with it. But, hey, look, if you're a football fan, there's it's not over just because the Super Bowl came and went. Uh, but what is over is this episode 15 of Glass City Game Time. Sadly, I say this with, with much regret. But if you want to listen to previous episodes or if you just want to subscribe and, and like and share, we always appreciate that. You can find us on ToledoBlade.com, on Blade News Slide. You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, basically where any podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts as well. Again, please like and share the show, an episode, any episode, and we greatly appreciate that. Matt, thanks for your time. Great to see you. Thank you. Definitely have you back to talk some fishing. Absolutely, anytime. Once, once the weather warms up, we need to get talked about Lake Erie. And I know walleye season's going well right now, both hockey and in the water. Yeah, the weather's not deterring any fishermen, right? Not right Only now. Only the wind. The days nope. it's windy, they can't get out. But otherwise, got there, Only you'd, the be, wind. you'd be surprised by how many boats are out there in the middle, you know, middle end of January into February. Well, Matt, hopefully you get out there, and I will take a grilled walleye with some lemon, please, if you find one, if you get one. Phil? Yeah, catch them. I'll cook them. Swear. Oh, I'll, I'll join. I'll bring the sides. I'll bring Great. the rice. I'll bring all the good stuff. Great. Phil, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you, those of you, for listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been episode 15 of Glass City Game Time.